We can sing another verse of song while, we, uh, while the rest of the people arrive. <clears throat> Let's sing a verse of, I am thine, O Lord. I always love that song. Draw me nearer and nearer to the precious bleeding side of our Lord. <clears throat> Let's sing it. I am thine, O Lord. I have heard thy voice and it told thy love to me. But I long to rise in the arm of faith and be closer drawn to thee. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. Well, let's have a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father, we are so thankful as we have looked around and getting to know some of the faces of these youth and their hearts. Father, we pray that you would bless them just the acquaintances of old times and some of these paths that we haven't crossed for so long. But Father, we're here together and we desire to be edified and to be drawn near to your bleeding side, to your precious bleeding side, to, to have a love relationship with you, Father, that overwhelms us, that motivates us to whatever you would call us to do in this life. And as we consider relationships before us now, we pray that you would bless us and encourage us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, our subject for today is youth and your relationship with your siblings, with brothers and sisters. And I was just, I was just curious, you know, as we speak here, there's so many different situations. Is there anyone here that doesn't have a home? I mean, you might have two or three, but, but is there anyone here that doesn't have any? You don't have a home to go to. Everyone. Is there anyone here who doesn't have parents? One or both, but you have parents. Is there anyone here who does not have any parents? You all have them. Amen. Is there anyone here? Does everyone here have brothers and sisters? Raise your hand if you don't have any brothers and sisters. If you don't have any. Amen. One. Are you an only child? Amen. Okay. <clears throat> well, this is still for you today. <clears throat> I have a story that I would like to read to you today, and the purpose is to try to stir something within you, maybe an appreciation in a deeper way, a greater thankfulness to develop a fresh appreciation that God has placed you in a home. You all have one. That God has given you a family. He's given you parents and brothers and sisters and a home. And that you have a place that you can call home. There are people, there are millions who are hungry. There are people who are starving. You are not. There are people who are cold. 
with no way to get warm. You are not. There are people who are abandoned. You are not. There are people who are homeless. You are not. There are people who are lonesome. There are children, there are youth who have never known love. They have never known what it's like to have a mother or a mother's love. They've never known it. There are people who have never known a father. There are people who have never really ever had a true friend. There are youth, there are people who have never ever heard of Jesus. And I think of those people, and really we need to come to grips with this, but except for the grace of God, there am I. Except for the grace of God, you are one of them. How many of you would like to trade places with them? I mean trade places. You can't take with you everything you've learned. You can't take with you everything you've learned from your parents. You have to trade with them and only have what they have. And you can't come back. How many of you would trade? There are millions of people who would trade places with you. They would jump at the chance to trade places with any one of you. And I know that we have challenges to work through in our home. We have challenges. We do. The relationships with parents, with children, relationships with brothers and sisters, But, you know, we can work through them. And when we work through them, we can work through them well fed. We can stop for lunch, and there is lunch as we work through them. You can work through them having had a good night's sleep, and you had a bed to sleep on. You can work through them with a counselor at your side. You can work through them. There is help for you. There is prayer for you. For you. Someone is for you. There is support for you. There is love. There is God. There are millions who have not one of those things. I was born on the south side of Chicago on November 10th, 1960. Home was a word I knew belonged to the English language, but I did not understand what it really meant. I lived on a street whose name I do not remember. 
in one of the row houses with numbers from 205 to 210. All the houses were the same. Each one had a small living room, one bathroom, a tiny kitchen, and three bedrooms. The rooms were always cold in the winter. Each bed was full every night in these houses, and sometimes the living room floor held the overflow. That is why I said that I lived from house 205 to 210. Each night I would go to one of these houses until I found a place to lie down. I soon learned that if I began early enough in the evening, I had a greater chance of finding an empty side of one of the beds in one of the houses. I knew who my mother was, but I rarely saw her. And I do not remember having much feeling for her. I did not know if I really had any brothers or sisters. I think I had two half-brothers and three half-sisters. There was coming and going all the time. No one ever said to me, this is your daddy. I am not even sure yet as to what my last name is. My mother told me that my last name was Larkin. But when I started to school, they enrolled me with the last name of Jordan. Mom said my name was W.M., but I was never told what it stood for. It didn't take long until all the boys on the street shortened up the initials of W.M. to dumb. So it stuck. I was called dumb. But I wasn't really dumb. I made B's and C's in school, but I was always hungry. Each of the row houses had a refrigerator, but they never worked. Seldom worked, and there was never much food. We never sat around a table to eat. We never sat around a table to eat. No one ever fixed a meal and said, let's sit up and eat. Each one took what he could, when he could. I don't know who supplied the food, but I know my mom and other mothers brought in food from time to time. <clears throat> my main staple was peanut butter. I ate many peanut butter sandwiches if I could find bread. I learned how to cut a banana in half and fill it with peanut butter. The bananas were usually overripe. That was my bread. I was glad when I was old enough to go to school. They had a program for children who were poor to arrive early and get something warm to eat for breakfast. It was usually a milky soup, sometimes thick and sometimes watery, with chunks of eggs and bits of bacon in it. It tasted so good at first, even though eventually I did get tired of it. But it was hot, and it was nourishing. With the exception of an occasional hot dog, the only other warm meals we ever ate were at the Salvation Army. That was at Thanksgiving and Christmas. In all my childhood in Chicago, I do not remember ever eating until I was full. There were about 15 children who lived in the row houses from 205 to 210. And we all learned to keep our eyes open for any kind of plastic. You see, the plastic we could wrap over our shoes, and then we would place rubber bands over the top of the plastic and around our ankles. This kept out the Chicago snow so that our feet did not get wet. We never had boots, and the shoes we wore were either too big or too small. You always claimed anything you could get your hands on that was in the closets of the row houses. That is what we wore. I had one pastime. I loved to read. My second grade teacher, Mrs. Misner, introduced me to the world of books. I read all the books she had in the classroom, which were not many. Then she took me down to the library that was five blocks away. She helped me get a card, 
taught me how to check out and turn in books, and where the books were that she knew I would like. I liked stories that were about happy families with warm houses and plenty of food. It didn't make much sense to me when I read about a mother and a father, for I knew nothing about a home like that. During the month of November, I checked out a book that contained a story about an Amish home that had all the family together on Christmas Day. I read it again and again. I looked at the pictures. The birth of the baby Jesus had never been explained to me and meant nothing to me. What really caught my attention in this story was the glow on the faces of the children in the pictures. They were happy. And the excitement I could read in the words, family, family. Then I began to dream, if only I, if only I could live, if only I could live in a home like that with a family, if only I could live there. Then a foolish thought came into my head. Why not? I asked Mrs. Mike Sell, the librarian, if there were real people like those in the book. Were there really people like this? She told me she knew that a group of them lived east of Chicago in northern Indiana, about 100 miles away. Why not? Kept coming into my head. Why not? I said. Why not me? The thought kept going around in my head until I could think of little else. So I decided over Christmas time this year, I am going to an Amish home, just like those in the book. I checked how much money I had hidden. I had $14.52. I had no idea how far that would take me, but maybe someone would give me a ride. I didn't know exactly where I was going, but I knew the name of the town where the Amish lived close to, and it was east of Chicago. I had become streetwise and knew which way was east and how to ride the city transit system for very little money. I left the row houses of Chicago on December 22nd, 1969. So here's a nine-year-old boy. I did not feel any bond with my mom, and there was no one there who really seemed to care about me. My clothes were too small, and my shoes were too big. My coat was patched, but it was warm. I wore no boots, but covered my feet with plastic held by rubber bands. I took the bus east through Chicago as far as I could. I spent the first night at the bus station. My plan was to get a ride with a truck that was going east. In the morning, I asked the attendant at the bus station where there was a truck stop. He gave me directions written on a piece of paper. So I set off walking. It was 10 blocks away. Now what? I had no idea. Should I outright ask a trucker to take me? That didn't seem like quite the thing to do, for I figured that if I could not answer all his questions, I would be taken right back to the row houses. I finally made up my mind to go as a stowaway in one of the rigs. It had begun to snow, and the temperature was well below freezing. I arrived at the truck stop very cold and very hungry. I now had $10.22 left. I bought a hot dog and warmed up by sitting in one of the stalls in the restroom. Finally, I went outside to pick a truck in which to stow away. There were many trucks in a row. Some had their engines running and some did not. I concluded that there was a driver inside if the engine was running, so I did not try to get in one of those trucks. I was very disappointed because door after door of these trucks were locked. 
But at last, I found one unlocked. I hurriedly crawled into the big rig and made my way into the area behind the seat. I hadn't known they made these things this big. It had a bed with blankets. I made myself as small as I could and waited and waited and waited until I fell asleep. The next thing I remember is the gentle sway of the rig and the noise of the engine. How long we had been driving, I did not know. I was so hungry, but I did not dare call out. At least the truck was warm. Finally, we pulled off the highway, and I hoped we were going to another truck stop. I knew I had to make my getaway as soon as the driver left the rig. After he left, I counted to 50, and then worked my way to the door on the right. As soon as I opened the door, I could tell it was snowing hard and had gotten colder. It was very cold. I had to hurry, for I did not want to get caught, but I hurried too fast. When my foot landed on the second step, I slipped and I fell. It happened so fast that I really don't know what happened. When it was all over, I was upside down with my head, shoulders, and arms in the snow, and my left foot still caught on something on the passenger side of the truck. Now what was I to do? What if no one found me? Would I freeze to death? It was so cold. I began to shake and to tremble, both from fear and from the cold. I called out, someone help me. But the wind muffled my cry. Then I started to dream about a warm stove, hot food, laughing children, and happy sounds. Somewhere in my dream, I faintly heard sirens, and I felt myself being lifted onto a bed, and there were voices around me asking, who is he? Another said, this is my truck, but I never saw this boy before. I heard them ask me, who are you? All I could think of to say was Amish, Amish. <clears throat> As I slowly woke up in the hospital, I was aware of the activity around me. I was in a bed with things hanging over my head and people at the foot of the bed. I pretended to still be sleeping, but opened my eyes just a tiny little bit so I could see what was going on. I saw a tall lady at the foot of the bed talking to a lady dressed in white, who must have been the nurse. We don't know who he is. As he was being brought to the hospital, he kept saying Amish. We have called for some Amish to come and see if we can unravel this mystery. Oh, here they come now. I couldn't believe my ears. The Amish were here. Two men walked in and they looked just like those in the pictures in the book. This tall, well-dressed lady walked up to the two men and shook their hand. Hello, she said, I'm Joyce Barr, social worker with the state of Indiana. This lad was found with his foot caught on the steps of a semi-truck and he was very cold. We do not know who he is, but he kept saying Amish while being transported to the hospital in the ambulance. I opened my eyes a little bit wider so I could take in the scene. The two men looked at me as they stroked their beards. I do not think we can help you, said one of the men. We're not missing anyone. Mrs. Barr shook her head in bewilderment. What are we to do? Our agencies closed down over the holidays, and the hospital administrator wants this boy discharged as soon as he wakes up. There's nothing wrong with him, and no one to pay the bill. He is physically okay. We may have to place him in a foster home until we can determine what is to be done with him. Mrs. Barr continued, 
Mr. and Mrs. Henry Yoder are approved for foster care, and they are Amish. Do you think they would take care of the boy until we can decide what to do with him? The one bearded man said, <clears throat> Yes, I believe they would be willing. I happen to know their family is coming home for Christmas, but I don't think they would mind having this boy with them. Now they noticed that I was fully awake, and Mrs. Barr began to question me. What is your name? she asked. W.M. was all that I could say. W.M.? What does that stand for? I don't even know, I answered. On and on they asked questions that I could not answer, <clears throat> but really questions that I did not want to answer. I wanted to go to the Amish home so badly that I just quit answering their questions. Mrs. Barr took me to the Henry Yoder home in her car. What happened the next few days seemed like a whirl in my head. I saw things I had never seen before. Some of it I can't even remember, for the sounds, the smells, and the sights overrode the ability of my tired head to grasp it all. By now it was the 24th of December. I barely remember eating supper, but I know the table was spread with food. They told me they were going to pray before we ate, but I had no idea what they meant. So they told me to fold my hands and close my eyes. So I did. I could hardly get the food past the big lump in my throat. I watched a lot and spoke very little. The chatter and the love filled my very being with emotions I never had before felt. It was just too much for this little boy from the south side of Chicago. That night I slept on a cot in the hallway next to Eli's room. Eli was six months younger than I. Soon I was fast asleep from exhaustion because of all that had taken place. We woke up early on Christmas Day. They fit me into some of Eli's clothes and asked me if I wanted to help him do his chores. It was all fun to me. New sights, cows, pigs, chickens, milk. Breakfast was a repeat of the supper the night before with plenty of food for everyone. I could eat a little more since the lump in my throat was getting smaller. The morning was spent getting ready for the family to be together. The family was coming. The children were excited and bubbling over with anticipation for the company that was to come. The table was stretched out long, and another table was placed up against it to make room for the family. I never saw such a big table. And the food. You can't imagine the emotions I felt as I saw the steam coming off of those mashed potatoes, and it looked like there was going to be enough for everyone. Children were laughing, and everyone was polite and considerate as they waited on each other to sit at the table. There was talk of the activities planned for the afternoon. They couldn't wait for Grandpa to tell them a story of when he was a boy. Again, Henry said we would bow our heads in prayer. This time, we would each pray silently as we thanked our Lord for the blessing of Jesus' birth. It was Christmas. I bowed my head in prayer not knowing for sure how to pray. My prayer went something like this. Dear Lord, please let me stay here. Please let me stay here forever. It was just too much for this heart of mine. I began to cry. I began to cry hard. And not just cry, but to sob and to shake. I was told later that all the heads came up and everyone looked at me. 
Henry got up from his chair and came over to mine and picked me up with two strong arms and carried me to the rocking chair by the stove. While holding me, he began to rock slowly. And with his deep voice, he said, Family, sing joy to the world as W.M. settles down. So they did. As they sang, Henry continued to rock and to hold me tight. After the last verse, Henry said, Family, it just dawned on me that W.M. might stand for wise man. I believe W.M. is like the wise men of long ago who came from somewhere far away in search of Jesus and found him. That was not the end of the story. Christmas was over and we had to return to the question of what was to happen to me. Mrs. Barr came two days later and took me into the city that was nearby. They got all the information they could about me so they would be able to make contact with agencies in Chicago and take me back. They were never able to find where I came from. Maybe today with the computer networking they have, they would have been able to locate my mother. But I have never seen her. I have never been back to visit Chicago. Henry Yoder and his wife adopted me two years after my arrival. It took quite a while to get all the paperwork processed. I always felt it a privilege to be a part of their family. And I was determined to never cause them any trouble. They gave the name of William Melvin Yoder to me. I think I'll stop reading there. My father said one time, we were sitting down at the table to offer thanks before we ate. And he said, as hard as we try, we can't be thankful enough for this food. He said, there are people who are starving. And if you set them here, in front of this exact meal where we are, there is no way that we can be as thankful as they would be for this food. He said, we cannot do it. But he said, let's try. Let's pray. And I just want to challenge each of you. I don't think it's possible for you to be thankful enough for the blessings that you enjoy. I, I don't know how you can. If you would trade places with someone who has never known and they could experience what you experience, there's no way that you could be as thankful as they are. I want to read a verse in Psalms. Sing unto God, sing praises to his name. Extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name Jah, and rejoice before him. He is a father of the fatherless, and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families. Isn't that beautiful? You know, as I've read this story, I was just trying to picture God in his holy habitation, setting the solitary in families. Can you just see God's hand guiding everything that happened? I trust you can see God's hand on your life. We have challenges to work through, but can we thank the Lord that we have the opportunity to work through them? 
We have the Spirit of God within us. We have counseling. We have the Word of God. We have provision. We are blessed. By this reminder today, may it shrink our problems and ever increase our thankfulness. I would like to close, if you have your songbooks, let's turn to 632, and let's just sing this song before the Lord. This is the tune of Stand Up for Jesus. Let's sing it with our heart. You know, I love to sing with enthusiasm. You know what enthusiasm means? Enthusiasm comes from two Greek words, en and theo. Theo means God, and en means within. Isn't that beautiful? Let's sing with enthusiasm. God within, and with a thankful heart. 632. I thank the Lord my maker for all his gifts to me, for making me partaker of bounties rich and free.